0: Amen. It's good to see the young people leading us in worship with music, doing such a great job. Thank you to those kids and to the ones who have taught them to play those instruments. It's a blessing to our church family. So on this warm summer day, we start a new Short series called The Baptizer. Welcome to Armin, by the way. Welcome back to Lebanon. It's good to see you. New series called The Baptizer. Today is part one. He must increase. He must increase. Let's pray together one more time. Father in heaven, thank you for this service where we have already been uplifted. We've already worshipped you through music, through prayer, through healthy living, through story. We thank you, Lord. We've been fed, even, physical food. Now we need some more spiritual food. So fill us today so that we will be full when we leave this place, full of hope, full of courage, full of your spirit to face a new week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So when I say the baptizer, you know who I'm talking about, don't you? Who is the baptizer? Who is it? John? John the Baptist. Baptist. You got it. So today and next Sabbath, we're going to do a little two-part series looking at John's life. Taking a closer look at his life, his character, his purpose. And so this morning, we're starting with his birth. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke what chapter? Chapter 1. If you have your device, you have your Bible, please go there. Luke chapter 1. Zacharias and Elizabeth are the parents of John, And here's what the Bible says about them in verse 6. Luke chapter 1, verse 6. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. What a testimony from their lives as parents. Could that be said about you? You were righteous before God, walking in all the commandments of God, and you're blameless? Blameless? Wow, those are the parents of John the Baptist. And verse 7 tells us they were childless, no children. Elizabeth was barren, and they were well advanced in years. In other words, they were older and not looking to have a baby. So Zacharias is taking his turn to serve in the temple. And surprisingly, the angel Gabriel shows up and starts talking with him. And here's what Gabriel said in verse 13 Luke chapter 1, verse 13. Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. So, though they were old, they were still praying. They were praying, they wanted a child. God heard the prayer of Zacharias, God hears your prayers too. And so Gabriel brings this good news, but Zacharias doubts, declaring that he is an old man and his wife is old too, and as a result, Zacharias is muted for months. He can't talk at all. Can you imagine? Put yourself in his shoes. Wouldn't that be tough? If you couldn't speak? Not just for a few days, you know, if you lose your voice. We've, we've had that happen, right? You can't talk for a day or two, no big deal. But what if you couldn't talk for months? That would change your life, wouldn't it? But after Elizabeth gives birth to this little baby boy, the child is nameless for days. And then in Luke chapter 1, verse 58 and 59, it tells us that the relatives and neighbors rejoiced at the birth of this baby, and then they put pressure on to name him after his father. You know, Zacharias Sr., Zacharias Jr., it's common, right, in the Middle East to name the son after the father or the grandfather, right? Pa- the name passes on. So the pressure's on. But Elizabeth says, no, 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 no. His name is not going to be Zacharias. His name is going to be John. But the others argue against her. So they turn to Zacharias for his answer. What's his name going to be? And you can't even talk to us or tell us. But he gets a tablet, his iPad or his Kindle or whatever, and he writes on it. His name is John. His name is John. And then I want us to read verses sixty-four and on to sixty-seven. They are in Luke chapter one. Immediately, boom! His mouth was opened and tongue loosed, and he spoke. Praising God. What would be the first thing out of your mouth if you couldn't talk for months? And then all of a sudden, your tongue is loosed and you can speak again. Would your first words be praise to God? This is what happened with Zacharias. Praising God. Then, the Bible says, fear came on all who dwelt around them, and all these things were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea, and all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, What kind of child will this be? Shuhida, what is this? What kind of child is this? And the hand of the Lord was with him, the Bible says. What unusual events surrounding the birth of this little baby. And so because of these unusual events, the people are led to ask that question. What kind of child is this? What's God doing here? God is waking them up. Something special is going on. This baby is not just an ordinary baby. He has a special purpose in life, a special mission. And so let's move past his birth onto his life. Gabriel... The angel Gabriel also revealed how John should live. Luke chapter one, verse 15 says, "For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he shall drink neither what, wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb." John the Baptist was spirit-filled from the womb of Elizabeth. That's an amazing statement. From one of God's holy angels. And it reveals the key to John's life and ministry. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was guided by, he was led by, he was used by the Holy Spirit. And as the angel said, John was to have a special diet. No wine, no alcohol. That's very clear from the text. But if we compare this passage with Matthew 3 verse 4, it says that John ate locusts and wild honey. That's not so clear. And according to the Andrews Study Bible notes, it says there's a long history of scholarly debate over whether this term refers to an insect, the locust, which is listed as a clean food in Leviticus chapter 11, verses 21 and 22, or to the carob bean. So which is it? Who thinks it was a locust, a bug? Who thinks it was a carob bean? Who won't raise their hand no matter what I say? Okay. It's a long debate, so we're going to skip that debate, and we're just going to keep moving and go with what's clear in the text. He had a simple diet. Locusts, whatever that means, and honey. He liked sweets. And he had no alcohol, no wine in his diet. Simple food, no alcohol, and the Bible says in Matthew 3 verse 4, his clothing was simple. Camel's hair, that sounds a little warm to me, and a leather belt. But these were the kind of clothes that were worn by Old Testament prophets, and they haven't seen an Old Testament prophet for like 400 years. Now John shows up on the scene dressed like a prophet with a special birth, very, very unusual birth, miraculous birth with angel, the angel Gabriel, bringing these messages. So John, dressed simply, reflecting his special calling in life. And speaking of his calling, Let's move on to that. What was his calling? What was his purpose in life? The angel Gabriel announces the purpose of John's life in Luke chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, which says, He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. It continues, He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. So he's going before him, meaning the Messiah. And he's going to turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. The purpose of John the Baptist's life was to help people turn to God in repentance and be prepared for following and accepting Jesus Christ. That was the mission, that was the work that God had for John to do. And John accepted this calling and did just what God had called him to do. Let's read about it in Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. The Bible says, Matthew 3, verse 1, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, And saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Matthew adds these words, For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And if if you have notes in your Bible, many of those notes will be including a reference that this is a quotation from Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3. So why is Matthew quoting Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3? Because he is declaring that John the Baptist is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. The man has arrived, who Isaiah was talking about. And those words of that prophecy are very interesting. The voice. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. John the Baptist simply used his voice to call people to turn to God, to turn from sin. He didn't have Twitter and Instagram and Facebook to post and use his words that way. He just had his voice. Whoever could hear his voice and whoever heard his voice and told others what his voice had said. He used his voice to call people to follow God, to turn from sin, to be converted, to be transformed, to leave their sinful ways and to obey God. He called people to prepare the way of the Lord. And I believe the historical context can help us understand what that means more fully. First of all, John had announced that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So when he says to prepare the way of the Lord, he's saying prepare the way for the king. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Prepare for the king. And the Seventh-day Adventist Bible commentary provides this historical context. It's in your study guide, which we sent out uh, through some different uh, communication methods. When an Oriental monarch intended to visit parts of his realm, he would dispatch, dispatch messengers to each district to be visited, announcing his anticipated visit and summoning the inhabitants to prepare for his arrival. The local inhabitants of each district were expected to prepare the highway over which he would travel, inasmuch as little was ordinarily done to maintain roads. In some oriental lands, it is still customary to repair the roads over which the king or some other celebrity is about to travel. So John is calling for the people to prepare the way for the king. But instead of fixing up a literal path or a road... They were to prepare their hearts to receive the king by repenting of their sins, turning to God in love and obedience. And the Bible tells us in Matthew 3, verse 5, Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan went out to him. All, all, all. This is giving us the indication that John the Baptist experienced a time of great popularity. Popularity. Popular preacher. People are flocking to go hear this man. They can't watch him on YouTube. They've got to go if they want to hear him. They can't listen to his podcast. They only can go and hear him. Hear his voice, so they're going. God was working through him in a mighty way, and people's lives were being changed as they repented of their sins and turned to God. But his popularity is more than most of us realize. Listen to these words from Desire of Ages, which we also put in, in the study guide, and for those watching online can watch it on the screen as well. Here's what Desire of Ages says. For a time, the Baptist's influence over the nation had been greater than that of its rulers, priests, or princes. He's not just popular. He's powerful. He's more influential than the rulers, priests, and princes. And get this. If he had announced himself as the Messiah and raised a revolt against Rome... Priests and people would have flocked to his standard. They would have jumped under his banner. Yalla, let's take out the Romans. Let's kick them out. You're the Messiah. You're with, we're with you. Let's do it. He was popular. But notice what she says here next. Every consideration that appeals to the ambition of the world's conquerors, Satan had stood ready to urge upon John the Baptist. But with the evidence before him of his power, he had steadfastly refused the splendid bribe. Wow. Satan gives him a bribe. You've got all this power. You've got all these people following you. Take advantage of that. You've got a name. You've got popularity. Let's do something. Let's kick out the Romans. Do something that's going to hurt the gospel is what Satan wanted him to do. Use that power for your own personal advantage. Satan's trying to bribe him, and John says, no, no way I'm not going to do that. And then the quote from Desire of Ages ends with this line, the attention which was fixed upon him, he had directed to another. Just like Feli's children's story. The light was pointing on him, and he said, no, no, it's on him. It should be on the Messiah, the Messiah who was to come. I don't know if you knew that about John the Baptist, how popular he was. But when I read Desire of Ages' chapter about that this week, I was reminded, like, wow, the guy was powerful. Popular and powerful. And Satan used that as a temptation for John, but thankfully he refused the bribe. But after these moments of popularity, this time period of popularity, time passed, Some of John's disciples came to him, and now they were quite concerned when his popularity started to lessen a bit. What's happening? John 3 provides the details. John's disciples report to him that all the people are now going to another person, Jesus. And they're getting baptized. And again, at this moment, Satan was trying to use this situation to create jealousy in John's heart. All the people had been coming to him. Now they're going to Jesus, and his disciples are coming to him saying, What's up with that? Who is he? Why aren't they coming to you? What's going on? Satan was trying to use this to hinder the gospel work. But notice how John answers his disciples in John chapter 3, verse 29. And I like how it's written in the New International Reader's Version. It says, "The bride belongs." John says, The bride belongs to the groom. The friend who helps the groom waits and listens for him. He is full of joy when he hears the groom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. So John tells his disciples, Hey, guys, I'm just the friend of the groom. That's all I am. It was my mission and duty to help connect the bride and the groom. And now because that's happening, I have full joy. It's not about me. It's about the groom and the bride. And then listen listen carefully to John's next sentence. John 3, uh, 3, verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. What a powerful rebuke to pride, selfishness, jealousy, rivalry, and envy. John the Baptist rejects those tempting thoughts and feelings and firmly declares, He must increase, but I must decrease. Notice these words, again, from the Bible commentary. These are almost the last words recorded of John prior to his imprisonment. And get this line, Surely words more humble, more submissive, more unselfish, than those of John upon this occasion, have never been uttered. Wow. Words more humble, more submissive, more unselfish, have never been uttered. He must increase, I must decrease. And here's the last line from the Bible commentary. At the prime of his life and ministry, he is summoned to retire and leave the field to others. And he does so graciously, so graciously, so humbly. He must increase. I must decrease. It's not about me. It's about him. It's about him, the groom and the bride he's come for. What a man of character John the Baptist was. What a prophet, and even more than a prophet, John's mission and purpose in life was to call people to repent and turn to God. And that call to repentance included people like powerful government leaders, such as King Herod. You remember the story. Mark chapter 6, verse 17 and 18 tells us what happened very briefly. For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison. Why? What crime had he done? He had not done any crime. He hadn't stolen, he hadn't killed, he hadn't done anything to deserve prison. But he put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. He got put in prison because of a scandal that John exposed and called out, and called them to repentance. In verse 18, because John had said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. John the Baptist spoke truth to power. As we see throughout the Bible, God wants to save kings and government leaders too. Whether that's King Nebuchadnezzar or King Herod, he wants to save even the powerful government leaders of this world back then and today. Whether they're corrupt leaders of Lebanon, corrupt leaders of America or Syria or whatever country you want to name, God wants to save those government leaders. He wants to save everyone. And so John appeals for him. Hey, that's wrong. You ought to repent. How did John have that kind of courage? I would suggest he had that kind of courage because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember, even from birth, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And and the Spirit's with him all throughout his life. And filling him with courage and true love for people, which led him to speak plainly in order that they might repent and be saved. But sadly... Instead of repenting, Herod has John thrown in prison. And those days in prison were tough, as you can imagine. And John's own disciples wondered about Jesus. Was he truly the Messiah? Because if he was, why isn't he doing anything to get John out of prison? He's in there for no good reason only for doing what's right, calling people to repentance. He's put in jail for that? Come on. Jesus, why, why isn't he getting him out? So the disciples of John have this question, and they're asking John this question. Who, is that guy really the Messiah? Is that who we think he might be? And so from prison, John sends two of his disciples to Jesus with this question. In Luke 7, 19, are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Can you hear the place John's at mentally to send this message while he's in jail? He's going through a hard time. God's workers go through hard times. God's people go through hard times, don't we? Sometimes it's not easy. Life in Lebanon's not easy right now. Life in the world's not easy right now. Now we got the delta virus scaring everybody to death. What's going to happen? Is it going to spread all around and have more closures and lockdowns and and and. We don't know. John, John was having a hard time. He's in prison. He's in a dungeon. Excluded from society. His ministry is effectively over because he can't go preach when he's stuck in the dungeon. He can't baptize. He's stuck in the dungeon. So in his questioning and his struggling, he asked this question to Jesus via his disciples. Are you the coming one? Or should we be looking for somebody else? Maybe we were wrong. Maybe you're not who you said you were. Or who we thought you were. Are you the coming one or not? And Luke 7 verse 21 says, At that very hour, Jesus cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. So John, uh, Jesus doesn't directly answer the disciples of John right at that moment they ask the question. They ask the question... He hears it, goes about his ministry that day, healing people, doing miracles, casting out demons. And then when that's over, Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended. Because of me. John's disciples returned to the prison and report to him just what Jesus had done and said. And when he had heard their report, Ellen White says he remembered a messianic prophecy from Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2, which says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. This report from his disciples helped John understand Jesus' mission and purpose, and he was encouraged Down in that dungeon, it was enough to hear that report. Jesus is the one who they thought he was. He was the coming one, and it was enough for John. He had peace. He was comforted. And he was resolved to be faithful until his life was over. So as we conclude today, what do we learn from the baptizer? What do we learn from his story? I found six lessons here. Let me share them with you. They're in your study guide. Lesson number one, we too have a special diet, and that includes total abstinence from unclean animals and from alcohol just like John the Baptist. Additionally, we are to dress simply, reflecting our special calling as God's people. This would include dressing modestly and avoiding jewelry, and there's some Bible references there as well, which we won't take time to look up at this moment. Lesson number two, our purpose is the same as John's purpose, to help people turn to God in repentance and be prepared to accept and follow Jesus Christ John the Baptist pointed people to Jesus first coming we are to point people to Jesus second coming lesson number three we need to prepare our hearts to receive King Jesus ourselves by repenting of our sins and turning to him in love and obedience make way Make the way ready for the King to come. If you've got holes in your life, you've got holes in the road, patch them up, repent, turn away from those things so the road is smooth and clear so when Jesus comes, you're ready. Lesson number four. By God's grace, we need to reject the temptations of pride Selfishness, jealousy, rivalry, and envy. God calls us to be humble and unselfish. He must increase. I must decrease. Lesson number five. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and courageously speak the truth in love. Lesson number six, when we're struggling spiritually, which might be the case for some of us here this morning or some of us watching online, when we're struggling spiritually, it's okay to bring our questions to Jesus. Are you the coming one or should we look for another? Bring our questions to Jesus and then watch and wait for his encouraging and faith-affirming answer. He's not going to abandon us. He promised he would be with us all the way until the end. So bring your questions to Jesus. Listen for his answers. Keep your eyes on him. He will not ever forsake you. Six lessons from the baptizer. What do you say, church family? Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, John the Baptist's story is inspiring to us, to me. Lord, I pray that we will take these lessons from his story, and put them into practice in our lives. May we be filled with the Holy Spirit. May we accept our special calling as your people to prepare this world for the second coming of Jesus. May our lives, our character, our diet, everything about us be impacted by what you want to do in us to use us and speak through us as you did John the Baptist, to call people to turn their hearts towards you to make the way ready for the king who is about to come. Please, Lord, pour your spirit out upon each one of us here and those watching, that we can be empowered as John was to faithfully serve you no matter what happens. May we point people to Jesus always, that he may increase and we must decrease It's not about us, it's about you. We're just trying to point people to you. Help us, Lord. And Lord, when we're struggling, when we are questioning, when we don't see the answers that we thought we knew before, we don't know what's going on in this world, help us to bring those questions to you, to lay our burdens at your feet and wait for your answers. Wait for your encouraging and faith-affirming answers because you have not forsaken us and you will not forsake us all the way into the end. And for that we are so grateful and we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.